Good morning. Glad you're here for the 11 a.m. service. You know, in Ephesians chapter number two, verse 10, we read these words. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Hey, can I start this morning by telling you a weird fact about my wife, Amber? Okay. I didn't tell her that she was going to be the intro to this week's sermon. So when this happened in the first service, I could see the look she gave me. She's like, what are you about to say? Here's the weird fact about my wife, Amber. She has no fingerprints. This is a true story. You can ask her about this. She doesn't have fingerprints. Now, the reason she doesn't have fingerprints is because for the last 18 years, she's been a massage therapist. So she's constantly been rubbing her fingerprints off every single time she makes one of her clients feel better. Now, this is not just kind of like one of those quirky details that I love about my wife. It's actually caused some difficulty for us over the years. See, when we applied for our permanent residency here in Canada, part of what you have to do is you have to... undergo a background check in your country of origin to prove that you're not a criminal and you'd be safe to admit to the country permanently and all those different things. So like I went and I got my fingerprints done and boom, came back, background's clear. But every time Amber has gone to get her fingerprints done and submitted them to the FBI so the FBI could tell Canada she's safe to let into the country, they're always like, we can't prove her identity. There's not enough detail. There's not enough fingerprints there in order to determine that this is actually actually her. She is struck. I mean, I think she's done fingerprints 12, 15 times and never once have they been able to verify her identity using fingerprints. So just file this away in the back of your mind. Okay. If you're planning on putting together a team for a heist that you're going to (laughs) conduct, you want her on your team. Okay. (laughs) She will ensure that you do not get caught because she's got no fingerprints to track, but it's not just Amber that struggles with her identity. I mean, there are many people in our world today. In fact, maybe even some of you that are here in the room and you're confused, uncertain, you're burdened because you're not totally sure who you are or why you're here on this planet. There are a lot of people that have trouble believing that they have inherent worth and value. Too many people believe that they need to to prove their value by what they accomplish in life or that they need to acquire acquire their acceptance. They need to acquire their identity and validation from other people. I just see, and I talk to people all the time as a pastor who, who I see people who are not comfortable, not confident in their own skin and their own existence. But hear me now, God did not create us to wonder and worry about our identity. He created us to know who we are, to be confident in that, to recognize that every single person on the planet, including you, has inherent and intrinsic worth. And God created us to live to please an audience of one. So today what I want to do is I do want to talk to you a little bit about identity. Where do you get your sense of self, your sense of self-worth, your place in the world? But we've got to pause before we go any further, because I know that in 2023, when we bring up the word identity, the first thing that comes to most people's mind are issues of sexuality and gender, right? Like those are the big hot button conversations. When we talk about identity, that is what most people immediately go through. So some of you are really nervous right now. And you're like, oh boy, is he going to start talking about gender and sexual identity? Yes and no. See, I'm going to be talking about issues that pertain to, yes, 
every aspect of our identity. And that includes how we see ourselves and our body and our attractions. But it goes way beyond all of that. In fact, I think we do a disservice when we narrow down our concept of identity and we limit it to just gender or sexuality. I'm going to be speaking to a lot of you this morning. Have you ever felt like a failure? I certainly have. Have you ever felt different from the people around you? Like you're, you're a weirdo, you don't fit in, you're not quite like everybody else? I have. Have you ever hated some aspect of your appearance? Yep. Have you ever had an unfulfilled dream, a plan for your life that didn't pan out? It left you wondering like, man, what was the point in all of that? Maybe you do feel like you're trapped in the wrong body this morning. Maybe you've had the experience or the fear that you're a fake Christian. You show up on Sundays and you look around, you see all these other people and they're all smiles and they seem so sincere. But in your heart, you're like, man, I don't even know if I really believe this. I think I'm faking it at this point. If you've ever asked any of those questions or if you've ever wrestled with any of those issues, I want you to know that each one of them are ultimately identity issues. Each one of them come from the fact that you may not have a secure and stable sense of yourself and your place in the world. See, this, this identity issue, this need for a secure and stable identity, it's not just something that some people need to work on. This is an issue for every single one of us. So before we move too far into this this morning, what I want to do is I want to start by defining identity. Identity is one of those things that like, if you just say identity, everybody's like, yeah, I know what identity is, but then you start to define it and it gets a little bit harder. Most of us, if we were going to define identity, we would start with like the biographical data and information about ourselves that you might find like on your driver's license or your passport or something like that, right? Um, just, to, just to be safe here, I've blocked out my address on my driver's license because we stream our services online and like there are weirdos on the internet. I don't want them knowing my address. I'm a little afraid that one of them might like pause the YouTube video and zoom in and get my address and come knock on my front door just to tell me they don't believe women can be pastors, okay? There are crazy people in the world and they get all riled up over all sorts of crazy stuff. Anyway, when we talk about identity, usually the stuff we're talking about is this sort of biographical information that you would find. So like if you read my driver's license, you'll see my name is Daniel Webster Suiza III. You'll see I was born on November 27th, 1980. Uh, I'm a male. I have hazel eyes, brown hair. I'm 168 centimeters tall. By the way, I really like the fact that my driver's license is in metric <laughs> because I have no idea how tall 168 centimeters is. It just sounds tall. I'm like, yeah, I'm 168 centimeters. Centimeters. It's 5'6". When I say it that way, I'm like, oh boy, I'm only 5'6". But it goes on. It gives all of this biographical information about me. And of course, there are other details that are similar but might not be included on your um, driver's license. We might talk about your marital status. We might talk about your occupation in the world. We could talk about your citizenship or your country of birth. So we start when we think about identity usually with that biographical data about ourselves. And then we'll add into that our affinities, the things that we like or dislike. So maybe which hockey team we root for or which type of music we can't stand. Country. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> I got something in my throat there. I just made some enemies. I know, but I can't help it. <laughs> Or, you know, we talk about which political party we vote for. So we take all this biographical data, we take our affinities, we mix them all up, and voila, 
That's me. That is my identity. And of course, all of those things can be a part of your identity, but none of them have to be a part of your identity. In fact, the things that make up your identity will actually vary a bit from person to person. Psychologists recognize this. They recognize that not everybody defines themselves according to the exact same characteristics. There are things that I might say are an inherent and important part of my identity that you might not believe are a part of your identity. And so what scientists have done, what psychologists have done, is they broaden the definition of identity beyond just biographical data, beyond just our affinities, and this is how identity is most generally defined. Identity is our controlling self-understanding. Controlling self-understanding. That's the definition of identity. It's not just facts about yourself. It's not just the, the things that you like or dislike, but it's those things that are true about you that shape how you see yourself and how you see your place in the world. Are you tracking with me? It's whichever characteristics about you control, either positively or negatively, your self-image and your place within the world. So um, think about an example like this. If you have a job that is, uh, it makes you feel important and valuable, then that's a likely a fundamental part of your identity. Maybe, maybe you have a professional or a respectable job, like you're a medical doctor, for instance, right? And you know that that's a respected profession. You know that it's helpful. You make a difference in the world. And so you might say, that is a part of my identity. I am a medical doctor. I am a respectable, professional type of person. I help others in their, type of need, in their time of need. That is like a type of your identity. Now, maybe you don't have that kind of job. Maybe you have more of a me job. Like maybe you went to university and you got a degree in a specific field of study. And then when you graduated, you weren't able to find a job in that industry. And so now you're underemployed in some other field that has nothing to do with what you studied. And so you see yourself negatively because you have a job that you never really wanted. Are you with me? The things that are true about you that shape how you see yourself positively or negatively and how you see yourself in the world, that becomes a part of your identity. Some of you guys are like, I couldn't care one way or another about my job. I'm a cashier at Walmart. doesn't matter. I could do that. I could do something else. I don't feel bad about it. It is what it is. So it's not a part of your identity while it might be for others. It's your controlling sense of self. Now, uh, another example might be this. Maybe you're an immigrant. I was reading this week. I didn't know this. One in four people in Canada is an immigrant. They were born in a different country and now they live here. And there are some immigrants like, hey, any immigrants in the house? I'm one of them, all right? Um, there are some immigrants and when you come, you integrate very quickly and easily. Maybe because your country of origin was similar to Canada. Maybe because you know the language super well. Maybe because you spent a lot of time studying Canada before you got here so you knew what to expect. You found a great support system. There are a million reasons why, but you show up, you integrated, and you didn't even think of yourself as an immigrant. You're just like, this is Canada. This is my home, baby. I love it. And then there are others, and it's been a lot harder, either because you didn't find the same like family, friends, and support system that you had. Maybe you, didn't, you don't know the language super well. The culture is quite foreign from what you were born into. And so you see yourself as a bit of an outsider. You always feel like, uh, I'm not quite one of the gang, so to speak. To whatever degree that you let your immigrant status make you feel 
feel like an outsider, it is a part of your identity. Do you see what I'm saying? Anything that you allow to control your sense of self or your place in the world becomes a part of your identity. So there are no universal characteristics or qualities that form your identity. Now, what is a part of your identity might not be a part of her identity. And that means that the question of what exactly is my identity is not the real question you should be asking. It's not really that important. A far more important question is how do I determine my identity? How did I get my sense of self? What is it about me that makes me me? How do I know that I have value and purpose and place in this world? How did I decide which parts of me were going to control the narrative that I tell about myself? That question is the one that I want to spend some time answering today. How do I determine my identity? Now, there are two main ways that most people in our world will determine their identity. So the first approach is we let others decide what our identity is. We let others decide. This is not just a problem for teenagers that have to deal with peer pressure. We all battle this to a certain degree in which we let other people tell us what we should be like, what's important, and what's valuable. In our world, there are all these spoken and unspoken standards about what makes a good person, a successful person, a beautiful person, and we are constantly measuring ourselves up against these criteria, aren't we? So our world tells us this is what a beautiful person is like. And we're like, well, check, check. Mm, don't, mm, nope, not that one, not that one, not that, not that one, not that one, not that one, right? Our, our world tells us a successful person is like this. And we measure ourselves according to that standard. And it's very easy to slip into this habit of letting other people give us our validation, our sense of approval, our sense of belonging, because they've set a standard and we, do, we are trying to meet their standard of approval, right? So we'll find validation in how many uh, followers we have on social media. I know I'm not the only one here. There was a time, okay? I'm just going to be honest. This is a little therapy for Pastor Dan today. There was a time that every morning I would get up and I would look at Instagram to see how many followers I had. And then the next day, I would compare that number to the day before. Did it go up? Did it go down? And if it went up, I felt good about myself. And if it went down, I felt bad about myself. Come on. I know you've done that too. We look to these external factors, external standards to decide whether or not we're successful, valuable, whether or not we have self-esteem, right? We'll, uh, we'll look at something like the kind of car that we drive and let that give us our sense of worth. We'll look at the communities that we are a part of, and, and that becomes a fundamental part of our identity, the things we like and the people that we surround ourselves with. And so we'll actually say things like, oh yeah, she's a Swifty or he's a sneakerhead, right? It's like these things, these external groups and affinities that we're a part of, they become our identity. We actually define ourselves in relation to these sorts of things. Now that's not inherently bad, okay? Uh, at its best, letting others help shape our identity, it makes us feel included and accepted, and that's a wonderful thing. But how many of you guys know it can also very negatively impact our sense of identity and self-esteem? If we're not careful, if we're too uncritical in letting other people speak into our identity, we can be torn down as quickly as we've been built up. Some of you grew up in families in which your parents told you time and again, you are a failure. 
You're a screw up. You never make me happy. You can never get it right. You're never doing what I ask you to do. Just constantly, those words were spoken over you and now they've come to define you. They have seeped in and become a part of your identity every single day. There are some of you, and years ago, you were like a perfect match for cultural standards of beauty. You were a dime and you knew it. But then over time, your body changes or the standards change and suddenly you're left feeling unattractive and undesirable and wondering what happened. So we can let other people decide, but that's a problem. And it's a problem because ultimately this identity is an identity that is achieved. It is something that we have to chase. It is something we have to work for. It is something that we have to, to try to accomplish on our own. There is a standard. We try to measure up to that standard and be acceptable and lovable. But there are very, very real problems with living that way. Do you know if you live chasing the standards and approval of the world around you, you will end up exhausted and empty because those standards are always changing, aren't they? Like our world will say, this is what success looks like. And then a little while later, they'll say, well, that's not success. This is success, right? Oh, success used to be a stay-at-home mom. Now success is a career woman. They changed it, right? I remember 15 years ago, oh my goodness, 15 years ago, all the cool kids wore the tightest pants you could imagine, you know? It was like, the tighter, the better. They had to look like they were painted on. But have you seen the Gen Z, the, the Gen Z kids on our stage lately? Now it's not tight pants, it's loose pants that make you cool, okay? You gotta wear pants that are baggy enough to shoplift a watermelon in. That's how you know you're cool these days. They changed the standard. They used to say this was cool, now they say this is cool. They used to say this is what you should be pursuing. Now they say, no, 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 don't pursue that. That's silly. You should come over here and pursue that. You will spend your entire life running to and fro, trying to achieve and accomplish some standard that frankly you were never going to get anyway. <clears throat> Exhausted and empty. And so a lot of people will do that with their life. They'll, they'll let others decide, but there's a, a different way that, that has become more common, honestly, in the last couple of generations. It used to be that like, um, you know, even like three or four generations ago, we got our sense of identity from like our place within the community, you know, uh, fulfilling our role within the family, within the, the neighborhood, those sorts of things. Uh, but these days, we don't so much let others decide. Instead, we say, you know what? I'm going to decide what my identity is. I choose who I am, what's valuable, and why it matters. The most important thing about me is what I think, what I feel, what I believe about myself. And so under this framework, anything that's external, okay, our bodies, other people, community expectations and traditions, religion, all of that is less important and it can be trumped by what I find inside of me, okay? This mindset is all over the place. You've seen it even if you haven't fully recognized it. Um, we are constantly encouraged to be our authentic self, aren't we? You see that ever? Be your authentic self. March to the beat of your own drummer. Follow your inner compass. Like go on Instagram, scroll about five posts, and I promise you one of those five posts is going to misquote Tolkien, not all who wander are lost. I'm not lost. I'm just wandering. I'm finding my own bliss. I'm following my own compass in life, all right? We're told that if we want to find our true identity, then we're not going to look out 
outward, we're going to look inward. And once we look inward, we're going to see what's there and we're going to embrace it. Excuse me, we're going to choose who we are. It's an identity that's not uh, achieved. Instead, it's an identity that's conceived. We're going we're gonna to create it. We're going to make it up. I'm going to decide who I am. I'm going to decide what I should do with my life. I'm going to decide what's good and right and worth pursuing, okay? The most famous example of this in modern times is Queen Elsa from Disney's Frozen. <laughs> I don't think you guys were expecting a Frozen reference today, but here it is, all right? She's got, just think about the movie, okay? She's got a magic inside of her that makes her different and dangerous to all the normies around her. And for as long as she, like, tries to suppress what's inside of her, things go really badly for herself and for the world around her. It's only when she's willing to let it go, let it go, that she is finally, and she becomes her true and authentic self, that everything is happily ever after. So we've got these two approaches to coming up with uh, identifying our identity. That is, we can let others decide. It's an identity that we have to work and achieve, or we can just decide for ourselves. It's an identity that we can we create out of whole cloth. But just as with the first one, this I decide identity has its own problems. The biggest of which is that when I look inside of myself, I find a bunch of conflicting desires and values. I don't know about you, but it's like I look inside of me and there are things that I want on this side and things that I want on this side. And I'm like, well, which is it? Like, which one is the authentic me? Um, let me give you kind of a, a general example. You'll see why in a moment this is not, I'm not describing myself here. But like, let's suppose there's a man and um, he looks inside of himself. He's going to follow his own compass. And when he looks inside of himself, he's like, you know what? I find in me a desire to quit my nine to five job and become a musician. Like, I'm, I just know on the inside, I'm artistic and I've been like, you know, enslaved by the man in the office and the cubicle. And I want to break free from the shackles of the nine to five. And I want to go pursue this artistic career. So inside of him, he's got this one desire, but he also has a need to like feed his kids. Are you with me? So like, which of those should he pursue? Which of those is the authentic self that he should, he should bring to pass? Is his best life the one in which he pursues his dreams or he fulfills his responsibilities? When the world tells us, look inside and you'll see who you are, you're going to look inside and you're going to find all kinds of mixed up competing emotions and values and desires. And the pressure and the confusion of trying to create an identity out of that is almost overwhelming. I talk to people all the time and they're struggling to understand who they are and what their place is in the world. And they don't even know how to make sense of all of the conflicting feelings and wants and wishes that they have inside of themselves. It's hard enough for adults. Man, I feel so bad for the kids in our world today because like kids today, like at younger and younger ages are being pressured to make these decisions and statements about their identity. They're in elementary school for goodness sake. Like, let's give them some time. They can make up their own minds. Anybody should be able to make up their own mind on whatever they want. That's fine. I've got no issue with that. But for goodness sake, does a six-year-old need to make these kind of declarations yet? Give them some time. Let's let people figure it out. It is a very difficult thing to look inside and then come up with a coherent and consistent identity. In fact, I would go so far as to say nobody's able to do it. Because for all of our talk about like, yeah, look inside and follow your bliss and you just be your authentic self, we actually don't want people to be their authentic self. We don't. Hitler looked inside. <laughs> he found his authentic self. He followed his bliss. 
And all of us would say, no. (laughs) So for all our lip service to like, I create my idea, I choose who I am and why I matter and what's important. We actually don't want people to do that. So whether it's others deciding, whether it's ourselves deciding, each of these approaches to creating an identity leaves us empty, exhausted. It leaves us unstable, unsteady. There is a better way. We don't need an identity that is conflicted, changing, or condemning. So rather than letting others decide, rather than trying to decide for ourselves, the best way of determining our identity is to let God choose. Not going to choose myself. I'm not going to let others choose. Instead, I'm going to let God choose. Our best identity is found when we allow that controlling self-understanding. The most important thing about me, when we decide the most important thing about me is my relationship with my creator. I need an identity that I don't have to achieve or conceive. I don't have to try to accomplish it and get everybody's approval. And I don't have to make it up so that I feel like I've done something with my life. Instead, I need to receive an identity that is based on my relationship to my creator because of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Every single person needs this truth. Can I tell you, this truth will be the thing that lets you look in the mirror each morning and be okay with what you see. This truth is what's going to let you open Instagram and scroll without being jealous every single second. This truth is what will allow you to, to get out of the rat race, to quit trying to keep up with the Joneses, to quit trying to put on airs and like, oh, I'm so successful. I'm such a good person. This is the truth that lets you step away from all of that and say, you know what? I don't live to please other people and I don't live even to please myself. I live to please God. So what I want to do as we wrap up this morning is I want to give you two truths. These are general principles, but although they're broad in general, if you started to believe these, like if you internalized them and took them seriously in your own heart and mind, they would drastically change the way that you saw yourself and your place in the world. So the first one is this, every human is created in God's image and carries incalculable inherent worth. Every human is created in God's image and carries incalculable human worth. This is is what the Bible teaches from the first page to the last. Every human is created in God's image and carries incalculable inherent worth. Now, of course, our world, like everybody out in, in society, they would say like, oh yeah, of course, they would give lip service to this. They would say, yes, every person's equal and everybody has value. And yeah, they would, okay? However, if you start paying attention, not to what we say, but to what we do as a world, you know what you would discover really quickly? We don't actually live this way. Pay attention to the messages you get from the culture around you. Pay attention to the commercials and what they're trying to sell you. Pay attention to the music and the movies and what they hold up as ideal and and good. And you'll find out that our world values youth more than age. They'll tell you young people are more valuable than old people. They'll tell you that men are more valuable than women. They'll tell you that adults are more valuable than children. They'll tell you that white collar people are more valuable than blue collar people. They will. 
They'll tell you that able-bodied people are better than disabled people. You'll pick up on all these. We'll say the right things, but the way that we actually live shows that we believe that somehow there are people who are worth more, they're better, they're, they, they are the example that we should be pursuing, and it always comes at the cost of other people who may not measure up to this external standard that exists. But the gospel, the scripture, it gives us a different perspective. It says every single person on the planet has the same value. That a CEO and a homeless person have the exact same worth to our society. That men and women, old and young, rich and poor, immigrant and Canadian born. Every single person has equal value and dignity. Now, I believe that's true. And and the reason that I believe it's true is because if we go to Genesis chapter number one, verse 27, from the very front of the Bible, we read this, God created human beings in his image. And then it repeats it again because we need to hear it again. In the image of God, they were created. Male and female, he created them. Every single person on the planet, including you, including me, every one of them, we all bear God's image. There is God's stamp upon us. We are a reflection of our divine creator. And that means that we have inherent worth that exists independent of what we produce and achieve in this world. Do you understand that? You are not your job. You're not your marital status. You're not a second-class person because you're still single. You're not a second-class person because you can't have kids. You're not a second-class person because you live in this quadrant of the city and not that quadrant of the city. You're not a second-class person because you wear this size clothes or that size clothes. You're not a second-class person. You're not worth any more if you get promoted, and you're not worth any less if you get laid off. Are you with me? Every person on the planet has equal worth and dignity because every person on the planet was equally created in God's image. We desperately need to recover this because although we'll pay lip service to it, we do treat a lot of people in our world like they're actually disposable, like they don't really matter. And this is not the way of God. God gives us something different, a different perspective, one in which uh, we recognize that our identity is not in what we achieve. It's not in our titles. It's not in our bank account balance. It is in the fact that we are created and loved by God. If, If I die tomorrow, my life has been a success. Why? Because I've been in relationship with my father in heaven. If I, if I can't go on and be a, you know, there, like if I, if I say to you, core to my identity is the fact that I am a pastor, right? Do you realize there's going to be a day in which I'm no longer a pastor? Like I'm going to retire someday. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I love my job. Don't get me wrong, but like, you know, I want to be a snowbird. I want to spend winters down in Florida and I want to spend summers up here. It sounds great. Anyway, There's going to be a day in which I'm no longer a pastor. So catch this now. If I'm building my identity on something that can be taken from me or something that can change, then I don't have a stable identity. 
My identity is going to end up changing over time. I need something that I can trust no matter what my life circumstances say. No matter what happens to me, whether life goes really well or life goes really bad, I need something to keep me grounded and anchored. And it's that truth that you see right there on the screen. You were created in God's image. And so no matter what happens to you for good or for ill, you are loved by the one who made you. Second truth is this. In the end, ultimately, the value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. The ultimate value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. So like in the, in the beginning here, in that first point, we talked about the fact that like everybody was created in God's image from the very beginning, like at our, at our um, creation, we had incalculable value, right? Um, and this is true also when we consider exactly what Jesus did in order to, to redeem us, in order to purchase us. I told the, the, the first service, Amber and I built uh, a home in Florida in 2009. And uh, the purchase price of the house, the creation price of our house was $168,000. It was amazing. Florida's pretty great that way, okay? You guys are like, what? You can't even buy land for that price here. I know. Okay. That's the price that we paid in 2009. But if I wanted to sell that house today... It's not worth that. It's worth whatever somebody wants to pay for it. It might be less. Thankfully, it's a whole lot more. Come on, somebody. But you know what? In the end, the market determines the price. The value of something is determined by the price that someone else is willing to pay for it. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 18 and 19. Oh my goodness, this is so good. Peter says this, for you know that God paid a ransom. He paid a purchase price to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. God paid a price so that you didn't have to chase some ever-changing standard of cultural acceptance. God paid a price so that you didn't have to stress and wonder if you created a good and sustainable identity for yourself. God paid a ransom to save you from all of that. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. You want to know what your value is? Look at what God was willing to pay to set you free. He was willing to give the life of his son. He was willing to sacrifice it all to show you that he loves you, that you're here on purpose, for a purpose, and that he wants to have a relationship with you. How much better is that than trying to please randos on the internet? How much better is that than trying to prove to yourself that you have worth and value using some internal standard? No, Christ gives us a better identity, one that is sure and stable and confident regardless of what happens. And I hope you walk out of here today with that truth on your life. I love the way the Apostle Paul summarizes all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter number four. Oh man, this is such a cool passage. In verses three to four, listen to what he says. He's talking to the Corinthian church and like they'd been questioning his authority and who are you to tell us what to do? And you know, all this, it, it was weird. You should read 1 Corinthians, it's a wild letter. Anyway, he says this, he says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on that point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. He says, I'm not going to live trying to please you. 
I'm not even going to live trying to please myself. No, it is the Lord who will examine me and decide. Tupac got it right. Only God can judge me. He is the audience of one that we are trying to live for. I'm not trying to get everyone else's approval. I'm not trying to demonstrate that I have value by what I achieve and accomplish. No, I trust what God says about me. I'm created in his image. And no matter what happens in my life, he's already gone to unfathomable lengths to show me just how loved I am. That changes the way I see myself. Do you know that changes the way that I see each one of you as well? If we were to embrace this truth, we would be so much better off. God, today, would you help us to understand this? Not just with our minds, but with our hearts. I pray that God, every person we see, the people that are like us and the people who are not, the people that our world says have value and the people they say they don't, I pray that when we look at them, we would see them the way that you do, as your sons and daughters who have been bought with a price. And God, I pray that when the, when the devil whispers in our ear or when the culture tells us that we're not enough, that God, we would reject that lie and we would embrace your truth and that God, we would live to please you solid and secure, knowing that our identity is found in Christ. We love you and thank you for this promise and encouragement. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.